Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 2 Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we'll begin reading there in just a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We are glad that all of you that are visiting with us are here and taking that time to be here. It's an important place, important time, opportunity to hear God's Word and to talk about it. And if there's something that you disagree with that I might say tonight, I'll be standing right back there. You come by and just say hi. Be pleasant, and we'll talk about it. Be rude, and I'm going to pass you off to Brother Beeman. I appreciate you all for being here. 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want you to look with me, if you would, 2 Timothy chapter 3, down in verse 16 and 17. Paul says, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Why would Paul write this to Timothy? Why would he put before him and say, you need to realize all of these? Did Timothy not know this? Had he not been told this from his mother and from his grandmother, taught from a youth up? Didn't Paul bring that to his attention? Why does Paul feel necessary to say this to him? Do you not understand that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God? There's a purpose behind it. There's words behind it. It means something. Well, let's just back up a little bit. What else did Paul say before he said this? Look at verse 13. Talking about individuals that are there, he says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul wants Timothy, as he writes to him from prison in Rome, to understand the importance of God's Word, that you stick to the integrity of what God said, that you develop an understanding, and you read deeply what God wants us to do. So let's look at another place. Go back over to the book of Matthew. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, I want you to look down at verse 21. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, when Jesus is at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, as he's wrapping it all up, he says this, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. There's going to be a lot of people that say a lot of different things. A lot of people in the world. Jesus said this between A.D. 30 and A.D. 33. By A.D. 67, Paul is telling Timothy, these words that are written by God, they're inspired of God. You need to listen and look to what's here. You need to pay attention to what it is. But let's go a little bit further. In A.D. 33, 30 to 33, says, says, look over in the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 1, look down, if you would, to verse 6. Less than 30 years later, Paul writes this. From A.D. 30 to, or 33, somewhere in that time period, to A.D. 60, about that time when he writes this letter to the Galatians, he says this. Look in verse 6. I marvel. I'm confused. I'm shocked. I can't believe it. I'm astonished within 30 years that some of you have so soon been removed unto Him. Been removed from the grace of Christ. Some of you have removed, been removed unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be those that would trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. 30 years. It doesn't seem like very long, does it? Thirty years. Paul says, Though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than what you have heard us preach before, let him be accursed. Paul drives this point so much that he even says it again. As I just said, let me tell you one more time. If you hear something that we haven't preached, if someone preaches it, or even if I preach it differently than what you've already heard me do, let me be accursed. Do you think there's a message that is going through? For Paul concludes this as he says, For do I now persuade men or God? What am I after? Do I seek to please men? If I seek to please men, I won't be the servant of Christ. What are we after? So when Paul drives this letter, sends this letter, to Timothy, he's making a strong point to him to understand you cannot leave the gospel. Don't make it for what other people might say. 
Don't put it in words that they might that they might think would be tickling their ears or pleasing unto them. Don't change the things that are there. You think about these three texts from Matthew chapter 7 to Galatians chapter 1 to 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says the same thing. Stand true to God's Word. But that's what's happened in our world. Are we seeking after the words of God or are we listening to the perversions of man? What are we looking for? Because if we don't stand with the integrity of the gospel, we stand in the mistakes and the perversions of men that have perverted the gospel, the message of what Christ would have us to be. I've had discussions with a lot of people over the 50 years that I've really kind of preached or taught. I said, what we need is we need a gospel that everyone can come to and everyone could understand. Andy Stanley is a well-respected, inspirational speaker, and he goes into major corporations and talks to them about how they can develop processes more, but he's also a very religiously-minded man. But Anley Stanley once said in a speech where I sat in the audience, he said, we go into the community and see what the people want, and we build a church based upon what they want. And he uses this scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 22, totally out of context of what Paul was saying, because this is not what Paul was saying. He says that we go in there to the weak that came I as weak that I might gain the weak. I might be made things all things to all men that I might by all men all by, I might by all means save some. So if they want different relationships or you want something as opposed to what you might read in the gospel, go ahead and do that. Set it up that way. Maybe you'll save some of them. Is that how it really works? but that's what Anthony Stanley in the community church is that he represents, believes. That's not what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, verse 22, when he talks about that he became weak before because he, he would put off whatever he had of himself, but he would never change the simple message of God. Nor did he. But what if we could? Because there's a lot of religious leaders that are promoting a changing religion, a changing gospel for a changing world. Because after all, it's a fast-paced world now, right? You know, I remember hearing that from my grandmother when I went up to her farm. Man, things are going so fast now. Back in 1960-something, I remember sitting there and thinking as a car zipped past the... Man, that car is fast. It couldn't be going that fast. It was a gravel road. But the world's speeding up. But it's not really... Not in a religious mind that God has set forth for us. So what would we do in this fast-paced world? Should we change it? Should we change it so that it would be so much easier for millions of people in the world to do it? Should we change the gospel for that? Well, let's just think about that for a little bit. Well, let's just do this. This would really make so, it so much easier. If we would just sit there and say, let's just make salvation by faith alone. That's believed by many already, but let's just do that. Let's make religion convenient. Because all you have to then do is say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. No longer do you have to worry about obedience. It's just, do you believe that Jesus was the Son of God? It's really that simple. When we think about the convenience of the world and what everyone would want us to do, how are we going to do this for everyone to grab hold of it? I want everyone to go to heaven. Do you? But I don't want them to be religious. I want them to be heaven bound. To say that we go to the church group, and one individual told me that, so we should, be not, we should not be arguing about what the Bible says. We just need to go to those that are unchurched and get them into a church somewhere. And I totally disagree with that. Because it's so important to stand on the premises of what needs to be there. In Mark 16 and verse 16, he says very clearly, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Do you believe that? He that believeth not shall be damned. Do you believe that? Do you believe, like Paul wrote to Timothy, that all Scripture is inspired of God? Because if you don't believe that, we need to stop the discussion right now. Is there anybody here who does not believe that Scripture is inspired of God? If you believe that, then you believe this. Because it's written. And these are the words that are there. 
He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And that's been argued to me before. It said, well, see, there it is. If they believe, you're great. It doesn't say that he that believeth not and is baptized not. Well, let's just back up for a minute. Let's just think about this. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Together they are. He that believeth not is damned. If I take you up here behind this and you believe not, you are not baptized. You are wet. The power of, the, of immersion in this and salvation is not in this water. It's in your faithful obedience to what God said to do. Believe on me. Be baptized as a symbolic error of what you're going to do as a remission of your sin, buried with Him, raised through Him. Look over back in Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 6. And He puts, that's where you touch the blood of Jesus Christ. It's through this burial with Him in baptism. There is no need to say baptizeth not, because if you don't believe, you're not baptized. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Do you believe this? Salvation comes from Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, and it says, this and this equals, equals salvation. But the Catholic Church believes if you're baptized in infants, you're in a saved relationship. You've washed away the sins of your predecessors, of your fathers. And we'll teach you to believe later. The Baptist Church says that at the point of belief, you are saved, and we'll baptize you later. At some point, we'll vote you into the church in many of the divisions of the Baptist Church. The community church, at the point that you say that you believe, you don't have to do anything else. So when we think about all of the pieces, what's Paul's message? When we think about belief and baptism, we think about what it should focus on. All four ways can't be right. So what about this? About faith only. What about our aspects? Look over in the book of James, in James chapter 2. I want you to see the only points, the only time that you will ever see the words faith only in the New Testament happens in James chapter 2. In James chapter 2 and down in verse 24. James 2 and verse 24 says, You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Faith alone is very clear from James. You have to do something. You have to do the message in which God expects you to do. You have to follow after the things that God has written for you. Obedience is key in the salvation of others, or and key of yourself, rather. But when they see you obeying God and following after God, then what people will see is the obedience is required of me. Look over in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5 and down in verse 8, it talks about Christ, talks about human priesthood, how it was imperfect in the the fifth chapter of Hebrews. And he says this in verse 8, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, his completeness in the acts that he did, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. Called of God and a high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, of whom you have many things to say and hard to utter, see that you're dull of hearing. We need to understand that what God did as, as God in the Son, Jesus Christ, He threw obedience. The plan was laid out. In the book of Matthew, when it talks about the temptations of Christ, you need to understand that it was not a temptation if it was nothing that He could do about it. The feeding of Himself... The popularity, growing up in poverty, how he could be in charge of all the world and the world bow down to him, had to be a temptation to his fleshly side or it was of no value. It says he was tempted. Yet he turned to the Scripture and quoted Scripture back and forth of what he needed to do. He said to Satan as he was tempted, Thus it is written. He obeyed. 
in the fashion in what he did. All right, so that won't work. So we can see that. Well, what about this? Can we make apostasy a possible? I mean, it would be great. Once you're saved, you're always saved. You don't have to worry about falling off. Anything that you do, you stay in the convenient relationship with God. It would make salvation for all of those who believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And how I live beyond that wouldn't matter. I can go and do as I want then. Once I'm in that saved relationship, it doesn't matter. Being here assembled together of the saints wouldn't matter. Once saved, always saved. But let's look over in the book of 1 John. In the book of 1 John, I want you to see how important it is that I live. And, and John does such a great job in telling the individuals there in 1 John why you should believe what you have. John repeatedly says, These things I write that you may know. Over and over again, throughout the book of 1 John, In 1 John chapter 2, I want you to look with me. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. He says, And hereby we do know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. So wait a minute. Stop right there. You know that you know Him. That means in a relationship with Him. You know that you know Him if you keep His commandments. So it does matter if I keep His commandments. I can't claim to be in a relationship with Christ and walk in any which way I want. Once I'm in a saved relationship with Him, there's expectations of me. I still have to follow His commandments. I can't change it the way I want to change it. I can't modify that gospel. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments, is a liar. The truth is not in you. I must keep those commandments. If I say that I know Christ and I act differently, then I'm lying. It's deception. I want to become one of those individuals that Paul was warning Timothy about in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm leading people astray by the simplicity of saying, wait a minute, look at me. I'm doing this, but I'm not. I'm not acting in the same way. But he goes on. He says, And whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily the love of God perfected. I can do this. I can walk in accordance with what God would want me to do. Very simple, very plain. If I keep this, we know that we are in Him. Why? Because God's love is there for me. His law is what I need. Look over in the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul is arguing and making a point to them about the difference between where they are living right now and what they, what they had before. In Galatians, the fifth chapter, he makes this presentation to them that is their call to freedom from the bondage of the law. And he's trying to make it clear as he's built up his case already in the beauty of who Christ was. The old law is done away. Verse 1, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty and the freedom wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. I want you to understand he says, don't be entangled in the yoke. Don't go back into the old law. He says, behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Being part of the old law is not going to help you in this law where Christ is. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Paul says, if you go back and want to bring back part of the old Mosaic law, you must bring all of it. A law which you cannot keep. A law which you did not keep. And you're taking the grace that comes from God and saying, I don't want it. And you're giving it back. That's what Paul is trying to get them to understand. The grace that has come through Christ, the forgiveness, the mercy, you can go to Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2, and while I'm here I'll just say this again, 
Ephesians chapter 1, you take verses 8, 9, and 10. Those of you younger, younger, get in there, bracket 8, 9, and 10. Do not take those verses apart. I'll, I'll, if I'm asked to preach again, I'll preach on Ephesians 8, 1, 8, 9, and 10. But the point is this. God expects you to know, I have so many things I must do. And the first thing is to keep the law of God. Which law? The law that, was, that nailed the other two to the cross. The patriarchal law for those that were not Jewish, and the Jewish law, which is the Mosaic law, the law of Moses. Those were nailed to the cross, taken out of the way, and the law of Christ is what's in place. And if you don't want that, you're going back to the old way. And you have to keep all of it. But he says, don't become entangled again in, with the old law. Look over in the book of Second Peter. In Second Peter chapter 2. In Second Peter chapter 2, I want you to look down at verse 19. Peter does a long dissertation about false teachers. Talks about how the false prophets would come in among them. Within a hundred years, the apostasy from what Christ had died for is in full bloom. And Peter is saying, these are the marks of the teachers that are false. These are the things you need to be on guard for. Because there's people that are going to pervert the gospel of Christ and try to get you ensnared in it. But look at what he says in 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the serpents of corruption. For, of a man, for whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. For if, after they themselves, if these individuals, if they escape the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. I want you to stop with me just for a moment. The power of verse 20 says to us, if they have escaped the pollutions of the world, if they were able to get out of sin through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, they're in a saved relationship with Him. If they then go back and get entangled again in the same polluted area, that means that they were once in it, got out of it, and now they're able to go back. The Bible does not say that you once saved, you can always be saved. It's impossible, Peter says. You can fall out of that relationship with Christ. That's how you become entangled again. When you're overcome, how can the latter be worse than the former? Verse 21, he says this, For it would have been better for them that they had not known the way of righteousness, the way of justification, and had they, had they had known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. So imagine what it would be like on the day of judgment. That I held in the palm of my hands the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And at some point during my life, having been in that saved relationship with Him, I said, I don't want it. Imagine what it would be like to sit in the pains of that ang anguish. Having said, I don't want the grace and mercy anymore to realize I had it right here. Do you think that would be worse than to never have known it? Forever you're going to think about, I had it. And I gave it up. I let it go. That's how it will be worse. And coupled upon that, the ones of us who have had faithfulness and live this way, and brought our children up, and then all of a sudden we say, I don't want it anymore. What influence will we have upon our little ones? And not only, not only am I am anguished, but what about our children that we brought into this world? What about their friends or anybody else I might have had contact where they say, well, you know what, Ken Vaughn, I remember hearing him preach. He's not even faithful anymore and died that way. That must not have been that big a deal. Sitting in anguish thinking about those people that you caused to lose their faith. Can we become ensnared again? 
Can I look upon the things that are of value and think, well, what should I do? Let's go back and let's look at this. Well, if the Bible won't let me do that, then let's try another one. Let's go to this. What about if we just become just moral people? And people have told me this. You know what? I'm a good man. I try to do things. I've known some very good people who will help you and do anything with you, but when you bring up two things, they won't talk to you. They won't talk to you about politics, which I agree with them. I don't talk about politics either. I don't like it, don't want to. Bring up politics in my house, I may ask you to leave. You don't talk about religion, they don't want to talk either. But would help you do anything in the world, and the people that you need are their best neighbors. And what do you want? He said, I follow the golden rule. So if you want to put that in your Bible, that's what I do. Matthew 7, chapter and verse 12, Therefore all things whatsoever you would, do, would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. That's the law I follow. Isn't that what Jesus was saying in Matthew 7? Just be a good person. If I pluck that out all by itself, it sounds good, doesn't it? But was that his message in Matthew chapter 7? Go back and read his entire dissertation of that in Matthew chapter, and Matthew ending up down towards chapter 7. Read that. Read it several times. See what his topic is and his discussion is. It's not about just living right. It's living righteous. But you'll see that. It's replete with issues that he's concerned about warnings that he sees coming, talking about what's happening with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the leadership that is there, talking about what's being taught, trying to get to the basis that you need to be faithful unto God and not just take the things that are there. Well, what about just living more? Should we all, should we not all live moral lives? Be good people? Help our neighbors? Well, of course we should. That's foundational in who we should be. Well, let's go over to the book of 1 Corinthians. Let's dig a little bit deeper when we think about these moral issues. In the book of 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. Look down with me, if you would, to verse 21. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, beginning in verse 21. For many, the gospel is just pure foolishness. To think that I have to go through all of this, that I have to be dipped in water, and, and I have to believe upon something that I, someone or something that I've never seen or heard. He says in verse 21, For after that in the wisdom of God the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, a stumbling box. And unto the Greeks, foolishness. What do we have? What are we looking for? What what is it that you're requiring? And you're requiring me to do this. And you're requiring me, as the elders give me, and say, here's an opportunity for you to be fed. And a gospel meeting comes around. And and it's requiring me to be there every, every night. Where do you want to be? And with new elders being instilled, or installed rather, should all young men not be aspiring to work towards being leaders in the church? That may not be the role. Should all young ladies not be trained so they can be helpmates in the kingdom of Christ? Maybe not as elders' wives, or as preachers' wives, or as deacons' wives, but in the role of being faithful to God. Should they not? Where should we go? Do we think of Christ crucified? They were ready for Christ to be crucified. But the message of Christ crucified is the salvation of the world. The Jews did not want the world saved. They didn't want the Gentiles saved. They disliked them greatly. Maybe that's the way I should say that. 
This is our God. But the message of what the Gentile race, in this whole group right here, there's no one in here that's of Jewish background, I don't believe. We would all be sitting down. It was a stumbling block to think for the Jew that Christ died on the cross so that they could be saved in a relationship with our my God. For the Greek who looked at all the different gods, you think about Paul on Mars Hill and he talked about all these different gods that they worshipped. They were always looking for something else. It's foolish to think there's only one and we got a hundred. And if that's not enough, we'll create one for what you think. But don't limit it to one. That's foolishness. How should we conduct ourselves? Go to the book of Romans in Romans chapter 1. Romans, the first chapter. This gospel message that is laid out. Romans chapter 1. Down in verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. Let's hold on there just for a moment. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And, and the phrase of Christ in some translations is not there. But even if it's taken out, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What's the gospel message? It's Christ and Christ crucified, is it not? So if you want to take it out, it's okay. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation. The power is in the gospel. The gospel message. What is it then that's in that message? What's in there about this revelation? What's in there for me? For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The righteousness of God is within this book. The justification of God is in this book. And people have said to me, well, there it is. It says it very clearly, faith to faith. Your faith, my faith, his faith, their faith. That's not what Paul is talking about. In the fourth chapter of Romans, Paul go, even goes on and talks about how Abraham was justified by faith. What law was Abraham under? Patriarchal law. Was he justified by faith? Yes. By the actions and the works that he did. He was justified by faith. What about the Israelites on the Mosaic law? Are they justified by faith? Yes. They're justified by faith when they kept the law. How are you justified? By keeping the law of Christ. The faith, the faith has reference to the patriarchal law, the mosaical law, and the Christian law, Christian law, the Christian dispensation. That's what it's talking about. Not that you have faith in something over here. Faith in Christ. The instructions that are written here, the just shall live by faith. Where do I stand in all this? Justified by the, the faith that I have in Romans chapter 4 with Abraham. Justified in the means in which I would live and how he would conduct himself. is an example for me that my works are not sufficient, but the grace that would come through God, through Jesus, would. Where do I stand? Look over in the book of John, in John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, down in verse 48. Jesus says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Well, should I live moral and upright? Yes. Is that all there is to say about it? In the book of John, in John chapter 8, let's back up just a little bit. In the 8th chapter, look down at verse 24. In John chapter 8, and verse 24, he says this, I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. So living a great moral life is great, but do you have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And some of you have a, a red letter edition. These are words of Jesus. Is it in red? 
I'm not saying that you shouldn't believe everything that's written in black because it's all inspired by God. Jesus said, you must believe that I am He. Then let's go over to the book of Acts. The greatest example that is, is in here that I can find is in Acts chapter 10. When we look at a certain man called Cornelius, a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, a man which gave alms unto all the people, a man who prayed to God always. Was he a good man? Did he do great things? Was he saved? What? So just being that kind of a man is not enough? He would say, you send for Peter who will come and tell you words by which you will be saved. I've got to do more. In Acts chapter 11, when Peter is relating the story of what he was told, because Peter was calling and said, what are you doing over there with Cornelius? He's a Gentile. He said, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you, in Acts chapter 11, let me tell you why I was there. God sent me. And who is going to tell this man no when God says yes? And they were okay with it. Acts chapter 11 is a commentary on Acts chapter 10. But look down at verse 14. Acts chapter 11 and verse 14, he says, Who shall tell thee words, whereby thou all thy house shall be saved? And as they spake, began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us in the beginning. It's happened twice. On the day of Pentecost and now, the Holy Spirit has fell, fell on the Jews, and now it's fallen on them, here the Gentiles. And you're going to tell me, you're calling me in question upon this? As this happens, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us in the beginning. Then remembered I, the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. He remembers what's happened and what was said. Cornelius sent for Peter to tell him. And he and all of his house were baptized. So it wasn't enough for Cornelius to be in a saved relationship by living a righteous life. He had to. Well, let's go back over to Matthew. We've already read part of this. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7 and let's look at it a little bit deeper. In Matthew chapter 7, I want you to look down at verse 21. Matthew 7 and verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils. In thy name have done many wonderful works. Look at everything we did for you. What does he say? Jesus then says, Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And the word iniquity here literally means lawlessness, without authority. What does the Bible say? There's going to be a lot of people looking in all kinds of different directions, but if you are going to find it, why? The rich young ruler had the same problem. He would give up everything but his wealth. What's in your heart? How do I live? How do I conduct myself? What am I going to say? Well, since I can't do that and just live a moral life, why don't we just change the definition of morality? It's not that big a deal. Let society to set up and decide, well, that's just all right. It's normal. That's what President Clinton did, in case those of you that are under the age of 30 may not know this, but that's what he did. Let's just change it and redefine it. Let's allow the courts to decide if it's bad enough and we should allow it. Or let's just vote on it. Should we have same-sex marriages? Let's vote on it. Let the courts decide. What about marriage, divorce, and remarriage? Let, let the courts handle that. Let's change the way we look at what is moral. But I want you to look at what... Let's just see what the Bible says. Look over to Matthew, the 19th chapter, down in verse 9. Matthew 19 and down in verse 9. 
He says marriage is serious business. Don't go into it halfway. You make sure the person that you're going to marry is the person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with. And no matter what the discussion is or what the problem is, you're going to go back to the Word of God to find out what you have to do so you keep that relationship together where it should be. And if both are not equal to that and willing to do that, your best answer to that young people is to walk away. Because you're asking yourself, inviting yourself into heartbreak. And it's going to be the most difficult thing that could come to you. Look what he says in Matthew 19.9. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away, doth commit adultery. I can't make it any simpler. Don't do it. The marriage relationship is a marriage relationship with three. Man, woman, and God. And you make that covenant relationship. Don't break it. And don't take it. Unless you're serious about keeping it. It's so important. But we can change it. We'll just, like we have here, there's, the marriage divorce rate is really high. I think I've preached that here before. That the marriage divorce relationship, the marriage relationship does not last that long. In fact, I was sitting in school just the other day and someone said that they had been married for 30 years and someone looked at them and said, I'm surprised. I said, well, you're going to really be surprised. I've been married 35. And someone said, with you, I believe that's a surprise. She's a saint, no doubt. Why is that not the norm? Because we changed the rules and said it's okay. If you get tired of that one, find another. The courts have made it easy. You don't like it? You have a no-contest divorce. Don't want to get into a squabble? You all decide how to split up the assets. You don't really want to get into a fight? You all decide how you're going to split up the children. Really? Book of Romans in Romans, the seventh chapter. Down in verse 2, For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. As you saw in Matthew 19, there's an exclusion for that. We can't change the law on morality. Go over to the book of Galatians. Look at what Paul says as he writes to those in Galatia. In Galatians, the fifth chapter. And Paul is saying, talking about the works of the flesh and talking about the battle that goes on between those things that are carnally minded and those that are spiritually minded. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, and down in verse 19, he said, now the works of the flesh are manifest were to these. Look at this. He starts off the list. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. And he gets on to a lot of the things that I haven't really talked about tonight. But I want you to see the things that are there. He says, these things are not of God and you will not inherit the kingdom of God if you're involved in them. Slow down. Step back. Decisions that you make in this world are going to impact you for the rest of your life. But let me tell you something even more scary than that. It will impact you for eternity. Yes, I need to live moral. Yes, I need to think about what I should do. Yes, I need to walk away and get away from the things of the world because people say, you know what, you're going to college... Your mom and dad are not going to know that you're out drinking tonight. They won't know. Well, you better hope they do. You better hope they find out if you ever venture yourself down that pathway. That may be your only lifeline. Parents are scared to death to send their kids off to college. I was. I was still scared to send them to Texas A&M, even though I knew the chief of police and half the police department there. I was still scared to send them off, even though I knew most of the elders at the Twin City Church of Christ and the preacher there. I still was worried. Why? Because they're my kids. You know, I worry about yours too. Because when they're no longer there at your home that you can control, and I'll tell you what you start wishing for, parents, is what I had last December. All my kids 
sitting in that, those pews, worshiping together, and none of them had to. I can't think of anything that would devastate me more and hurt me more. But I know what I want them to do is walk out of my house having the gospel of Christ built in deep. Well, let's just do this. We're talking about, let's just get the unchurched. You just attend the church of your choice. Believe what you want. And if you don't find what you want to believe, go and establish your own. That's what people did, and that's why there's over a thousand different denominations in the world. People just go out and do whatever they want. But I want you to go to the book of Ephesians. And, I, and, and if you all haven't known this in the last six years, Ephesians is my favorite book in the entire Bible because it tells you everything you need to know. You can throw everything else away, but Ephesians will lay it out for you. If you don't find anything with that laying on the bench, you can find your way to God. In Ephesians, the first chapter, in verse 22 and verse 23, he says, And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Underline that phrase, to the church. Hold on to that. He says, this is what he done. All things to the church in verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him, the filleth all in all. Go over to the book of Ephesians and chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to look down to verse 4. There is one body. What is that one body? What did he say over here in Ephesians 1? The body is the church. How many churches are there? Everybody do this. There's one. Who's the head of it? Christ. I can't change that. I'm looking for that. And he goes on and even says this. This is where we are. The body, this is the body, the fullness of everything that comes. There's one body. There is one spirit. Even as you're called in one hope if you're calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Beloved, I can't, I can't stretch that any further. You go back over to the book of Ephesians, or Acts, and Acts, the second chapter on the day of Pentecost, and then following, as the people were trained and taught about the gospel, they were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as such be saved. Who added them? I didn't do it. The Lord did it. The ones that are faithful, the ones that came into the one body, the one church, there is only one. Well, there's many people that believe we can worship any way you want. You can worship anywhere you want, at any time you want, any methods that you want, using whatever you want. You better make sure it fits in here. Jesus said in Matthew 28 and verse 19, Go ye into all the world. Preach. You teach everyone. You teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's the message that has to go forth. That's the law that has to go out. In the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 17, it says, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. You then go out and you teach it by the authority that is given by God. Don't teach anything else. You teach what He told you to teach. Do we need to change it? Look over in the book of Matthew. Let's go back to Matthew the 18th chapter, or the 15th chapter. Matthew the 15th chapter. What's my attitude? In Matthew the 15th chapter, I want you to look down, if you would, at verse 8. I knew that didn't read right. That was Mark. Matthew, the 15th chapter. Down to verse 8. Verse 7, it says, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. I can go through all the motions. I can sit there and say the words. I can sing the songs. I can say amen at the end of a prayer. But if my heart is not with God, it's just wasting time. Now, I'm going to say you're not going to get something out of it, but it's not 
in a relationship with God. Prophet Jeremiah said, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. And it's very plain to see. In a short space of 30 years, when Jesus said that there, there will be individuals that are going to teach things that are vain, that are wrong. Within 30 years, Paul says to those in Galatia, I marvel that you are so soon removed unto something else than what you've already been taught. And within another 20 years, Paul writes to Timothy and said, I'm telling you, it's so important that you understand this, son. Evil men, evil seducers are going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Not by faith alone. Yes, you can walk away from the church and walk away from the Lord. There's more to do than just living a good life in, the, in this world. You can't change what def defines morality. And it's certainly not one church is as good as another because there is only one. Not held against anybody else. You can't design your own worship. It's been laid out for us. That's God's law. And just remember what Paul said. Though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than what you have already been preached, let me be accursed. Let me be accursed so that you're not. Gospel. The gospel's for all. You see, we don't have to change it. The gospel message is already for everyone. The question is, are you a servant of Christ? If you're not already a servant of Christ, what are you waiting for? The gospel is there for you. The grace of Christ is ready there to take away your sin. Are you ready? If you're subject to the invitation of Christ... Won't you come while together we stand while we sing? With me, with her.